Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It's a brand new year. And what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a gold t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. Bellerín, otro defensor, otro disparo, Monreal, gol. Marca el futbolista español, marca Nacho Monreal. Pim, pam, pum. This is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunnerblog. James... Good, good, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good, the epoxy thousand leprous dogs of a morning to you. I don't know how to go. With I was going to say, do we sort of? We're approaching the point where we need like a badly morning jingle. <laughs> I, I was genuinely on the cusp of doing that this morning because I was thinking, you know, when things are really good, we do a kind of upbeat, goodly morning jingle, mm. and then I was thinking, this is actually so bad that I should make something. So, um, if um, I were to reveal my YouTube search history now oh yeah it would be like hell scream sound effects <laughs> that's where i was going now but none of them were convincing enough i was just going to do like a really long scream and yeah, sort of sure. copy the middle of it and extend it out so it was just something like ah but for ages and i was gonna put some echo and stuff like that on it but then you see i, I was sitting here it was 11 o'clock and i thought we were going to start at 11 so i owe you an apology for besmirching you on on twitter by saying ah. you were late so i apologize for that because you did say <laughs> eleven thirty. then i was going to make a wisecrack about maybe something happened to him and then i thought well i don't know I feel like it could be tempting fate a little bit if I said something like that about you. It would yeah. be like I get an email. Oh, maybe he's dead, and then yeah, it's like I am actually you dead. You are actually dead, and I would feel bad. I am dead, actually. This is my ghost. 
uh, <laughs> I have unfinished business with Arsenal Football Club, and that's why my spirit lingers on in the mortal world. Yeah, you're in some kind of uh, purgatory, which I think is, <laughs> is going like to last forever. I just have Arsenal just have to be good again, and then I can find my final resting place 72 exactly. years later. Uh, hello, and welcome to another Arsecast Extra with the ghost of James, as always, James. <laughs> it does feel a bit like that. Yeah. There is something very purgatorial about the mm. Arsenal experience, particularly in this kind of weird, you know, uh, COVID, no fans environment. Like, there is part of me that sort of is still kind of hoping this is all a really bad dream that we're going to wake up from one oh. day. Yeah, uh, I saw a tweet there last week, uh, you know, when they were selling... Uh, tickets for the Europa League game and somebody yeah. I can't remember who it was said finally we'll be able to get in and boo the team <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean genuinely I so I was uh, you know in the queue with everyone else on Saturday morning and I have got a ticket for thank goodness for the Europa League team if you're mm. going to watch an Arsenal team let it be the Europa League team rather yeah. than the Premier League team. I am looking forward to that as strange as I imagine it will probably be. Um, but what happened last night did nothing to kind of further wet my appetite. Uh, yeah, pretty... No. I mean, I suppose if you wanted to play a really horrible sound to start the podcast, oh. you could have just played the sound of David Luiz's head colliding with that of Raul Jimenez, which oh my was God. genuinely it was. disturbing. Uh, yeah, because as I've said to you many times, I sit here and uh, I, I, I watch the games without the fake crowd noise. Actually, I, I realised about 30 seconds into the game that I had the game on with the fake crowd noise, so I switched over to the other uh, Sky Sports channel to make sure yeah. I didn't have the fake crowd noise. And... For the first time ever, I kind of wish I did. Because I mean, I hate to break it to you. I actually did have the fake crowd noise on because I didn't realise that there was the option at that point. Right. And you very much heard it anyway. Right. You very, very much heard it anyway. It was uh, that loud and horrible. It and- was, yeah, sickening, sickening sound. And uh, I think the news this morning is that Raul Jimenez has uh, undergone an operation for a fractured skull. Um mm-hmm. All we can do is, you know, wish him a full and, and speedy recovery. It's a very, very serious injury. Um, you know, obviously, Petr Cech experienced that. And wasn't there a guy, he was at Hull City, I think, um, who had a similar kind of injury. Uh, it was a headed, an yes, aerial check. Right. Ryan Mason? Yeah, I think it was Ryan And Mason. unfortunately for him, um, it, it ended his career. He couldn't continue so fingers crossed for Raul Jimenez because uh, you know he's a he's a good player to watch um, and for any anyone to experience that kind of an injury is, is really shocking so fingers crossed yeah. to him and uh, you know everyone involved there um, I, I mean, mean it was it was weird because I don't know if you had the same commentary but Don Goodman was on the commentary for Sky mm. and he suffered a fractured skull right. as a player so it must have been a really um, horrible experience for him to watch that happen he was out for six months right. with his and did make a comeback but uh, yeah really I mean God, listen, uh, we could have done a whole podcast on that incident and the way it is handled and the issues that exist in football around not taking head injury seriously enough. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's genuinely ridiculous. I know there are protocols, but, you know, you cannot convince me that David Luiz, having been involved in that collision and, uh, you know, thankfully for him, not as seriously hurt as as Raul Jimenez, um, you cannot convince me that he was right 
to continue. You know, he had a huge cut. I know that there are concussion protocols that he had to go through, but he was clearly uncomfortable. I, I'm not trying to be smart here or, or trying to be funny in any way because it's it's difficult to know if some of the defending that David Luiz was involved in was in part down to the incident uh, and the collision of heads because mm. we've seen him defend poorly before and I'm genuinely I'm not trying to be smart but I think if you look at a couple of the the incidents he is somewhat in a bit of a in a bit of a daze and even if he's not concussed and I'm not sure that that's the case you know being involved in an incident like that and seeing how serious it was for Jimenez and you know the concern and the 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 shock that you would have you can't be properly focused on a game and even leaving aside all that you know, he, he should not have continued. Um, I, I understand why managers and, and what have you are reluctant to make a change in those circumstances if the player is deemed okay because you only have three substitutes. You don't want to make a change five minutes or six minutes into a game, whatever it might be. But, you know, it's got to open up the debate and the discussion about head injuries and temporary subs or, or whatever it might be, or even an additional sub that it doesn't cost you if a player is going off with a with a head injury, having suffered something like that. Like even the slightest clash of heads uh, sees the referee stop the play. So there's at least an acknowledgement that head injuries are serious and more serious than mm-hmm. generally any other sort of tackle or incident that happens on the pitch. But the, 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 the rules around those injuries are just not sufficient. They're not good enough. No, and I think it's funny, you know, sometimes you, you, someone who's sort of outside the sport can shed a different light on it. I was watching the game with my wife and she's not a big football fan at all, but she just found it so insane and absurd that David Luiz A played on and B mm. that it wasn't able to be replaced without it costing a team a substitution and it's funny sometimes you get accustomed to things because you're so habituated for someone outside to be like well that's obviously absolute insanity was kind of like you know put it very starkly I mean I, I think it is crazy we had an experience I'm sure it was a few years ago Shkodra Mustafi suffered a concussion in a game and played the full 90 minutes uh, it was in the run-up to the 2017 FA Cup final and he ended up missing the final, I think because of the concussion. But mm. it was a situation, a game against Sunderland, he, he was allowed to carry on and then after the game sort of developed symptoms as a consequence that kept him out for quite some time. Well, that's the thing about concussion is it's not like you either you have it or you don't. It's It sort of can develop over time, can't it? You know, the impacts yeah. of, of those. And, and I think, I mean, to be honest, Louise coming off at half-time it kind of makes a mockery of him staying on in the first place. Do you know what I mean? It makes it mm. all the more clear and evident that that should not have happened. What did you make of the the explanation that it was because he he wasn't comfortable with the cut? It wasn't to do with concussion. It was to do with his inability to head the ball because I just guess it was too painful. As we could see, there was blood seeping through yeah, his mean, bandage. Yeah, that's not ideal, is it? I mean, I, what I would say is um, maybe Louise wasn't concussed. But I'm not, and granted, I'm not a medical expert, but the people I do know who do understand medicine have concerns that the nature of the testing he was able to go through in that, whatever it was, five minutes on the touchline is not really sufficient. And yeah, maybe he wasn't concussed. Maybe he was just cut. But I don't think the protocols allow for that to be really rigorously assessed. And we've seen that in the past with Mustafi. Who knows what we'll discover about Louise? Mm. Um but yeah, uh, uh, you know, 
one of those things that is a genuine a genuine accident in football and yeah. you know nobody really can be held accountable or blamed in any way but just I do think the game needs to get serious about how it deals with this stuff it's interesting you know a point where brain injury is uh, as related to heading the ball and dementia is being much more talked about mm. it, there's still this kind of prehistoric attitude towards really severe head trauma like this and I, I just think it needs to be dealt with especially against this backdrop of you know managers uh, the majority of managers wanting five subs not being granted that they're not having an opportunity to make a, a free substitution for a head injury kind of adds insult to injury and I just think yeah it needs to be addressed right now yeah it is a pressing issue for sure um, and again just all the very best to Raul Jimenez and hopefully he mm-hmm. can make a a full recovery um, God it's, I mean it's, 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 when something like that happens uh, I was kind of thinking is this game just going to sort of peter out a little bit you know because sometimes when you get to see a really traumatic injury like that mm. uh, it does sort of impede performance but I actually thought Wolves um, responded to it p- pretty well uh, yeah at, you know given given what they had suffered and, and Arsenal you know I mean yeah, well, we know were, Arsenal weren't great no I mean without being cynical about the whole thing it, it was maybe not something you could take advantage of but if one team was going to be shell-shocked by that injury you would expect, it, you would to expect it to be Wolves I know there's the other side of that where it's like okay we dig in and we do it for our teammate and we you know we, we redouble our efforts um, yeah look it was not good I don't know. I think I'm in a quite a strange place this morning and I'm finding it difficult to to have cohesive thoughts about what's going on right now and how it's going on and mm. how we deal with it and how we cope with it and how we fix it. How do we find the solutions? It, you know, it could be the podcast in which I don't know is, you know, the world record <laughs> the world record uh, phrase, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think, I mean, listen, it's my catchphrase, but I think that the reason it is is simply because we can't be 100% sure. And when you look at what's wrong with this team, uh, you know, it's very, very difficult to apportion it to one thing. In fact, it's mm. impossible. And it's it's even difficult to kind of, you know, say to what extent is this the coach's fault? To what extent is it the player's fault? To what extent is it management's fault? To what extent is the owner's fault? Like all of these things are definitely contributing. Mm. And some of the things that we hypothesized might provide, I don't know, solutions, you know, at the moment mm. just aren't. It is a very unpleasant cocktail of many things, isn't it? You know, I think you're yeah. right. It's not just Arteta. It's not just the players. It's not just the recruitment. It's not just the the owners. And I don't mean that in the sense that it's about money, but, you know, how the club has been run over the last number of years. You know, it's not just an individual thing with certain players, not just a collective lack of form. It is all of those things. Mm. So mm. trying to find a way out of this this sort of malaise that we're in is is going to be really tough. So let's just talk a little bit, um, you know, do what we normally do when it comes to a game like this and, and talk about the team selection and if there were any uh, issues in there for you or any surprises or, you know, things that you might like to have seen different. Uh, just trying to think now. I mean, 
Listen, uh, uh, clearly there's a lot of focus on the coach at the moment. And I think uh, mm. I think I'm seen as someone who has a more positive view of Mikel Arteta than others. Um, I think there are clearly problems with what he's doing at, at present. I, I do have a modicum of sympathy about the fact that I think, you know, when I looked at the Leeds game, the two players I thought Arsenal missed most were David Luiz and Thomas Partey. Mm. And... He was again without them, effectively. You know, he had 50% Louise or whatever he was without Partey again. That midfield, he didn't have Elneny either. That midfield of Shaka and Ceballos is really bad at present. It is really, really, bad. really bad. There's a really good graphic going around. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, I just saw you tweet it, yeah. Yeah, it's made by, it's made by a guy... Uh, from Poland, whose Twitter handle is unpronounceable to me, so I'm really uh, sorry about this. It's at P. Warizhnov, or I can't remember. Anyway, look, I'll tweet the original of it because the guy who made the graphic deserves uh, the credit for it. And it's the passing networks, and you can just see this this nothingness, an absolute nothingness in the middle of the pitch from an Arsenal yeah. perspective. Uh, there are clusters of players like Willian and, and Bellerin are basically in the same area of the pitch. Saka, uh, Tierney and, and Joe Willock over on the left-hand side of the pitch. Amazingly, um, Gabriel is further forward than Granit Xhaka. Aubameyang is this lone guy in the middle of the pitch who just doesn't get anything. Ceballos in that kind of that hybrid right-back position that we saw Elneny in a few weeks ago you know so that's it's not by accident it is by design but but it just demonstrates uh, the lack of balance that we have in this team and I think you're right the midfield for me is a, is a major issue it's it's not working at all and I I like you have a little bit of sympathy because you know our 50 million pound signing uh, who would make a difference is not available to us and won't be available to us for another few weeks by the sounds of things which is mm. really um yeah shit That's worrying shit. it's very worrying yeah. given how how much of a effect he seems to have on our midfield performances i mean just to touch on that kind of pass map thing i was flicking through the statistics <clears throat> this morning and i think arsenal's most frequent pass combination was Granite Xhaka to Gabriel, which, I mean, tells you its own story, mm. you know, going backwards. Um, and just on the team lineup, I mean, who knows? Maybe this way of playing, maybe with this personnel, maybe there is a way to make that click. My, my concern is that in Xhaka and Ceballos, certainly with those guys, you've got people who are very comfortable sitting deep, you know, playing just in front of the back four. And then through the middle, centrally, what you've got is Joe Willock as a kind of eight slash 10 and Abemiang. And I would argue that neither of those players are kind of high touch volume players, yeah. really. Like Abemiang's, you know, people will make a lot of fuss about he doesn't get a lot of touches. He never gets a lot of touches. That's sort of what he does. You know, he's someone who's off the ball and, and getting on the end of things. But Willock is not someone who is like a fulcrum of a team. He's someone who can like, you know, although he might play as a number 10, he's really there to press, capitalise on breaks, you know, again, get Rumby on into the final third. I just feel like when you look at that diagram that you mentioned, mm. 
there is just a huge gulf in the middle of the pitch, basically. I'll Uh, include that graphic in the show notes, so you can click into your app and and click the link and see what we're talking about there. Um, You know, and and weirdly, I thought Joe Willock was probably our most... I don't know what the right word is here, but at least he tried to make things happen. I think he was involved um, yeah. in the in the build-up to the goal. I mean, it was a smart pass down to Tierney and that cross, which eventually went out for the corner, and the corner came out and was headed in by, by Gabriel. Um, you know, there was some attacking intent. There was some desire from him to make things happen. But there were, you know, Shaka, as I sort of was texting you last night, just it was so slow all the time just so Mm. ponderous and there's a really interesting passage of play around the 57 58 minute mark where we move the ball down the right hand side we bring it inside to a man on the edge of the box and that man is granite jacket and i don't know you know um, fair play to him for trying to get up there and make something happen, I guess. But that's not where you want to see Granite Xhaka. That's not where he does things. Um, he played a pass. It was cut out. Wolves came forward. I think we um, eventually won the ball back. Gabriel won the ball back. Um, as he as he does, he sort of intercepted and got there first and was looking to drive the ball forward. And Xhaka sort of took it off him and absolutely leathered a pass at Rob Holding, 20 yards back down the pitch, you know, in our defensive area. And I'm thinking, well, how can you ever build some forward momentum when there's a guy in your team who is just, who, who, who thinks like that? I just don't, I don't get it. Why didn't he let Gabriel take the ball and just slot back into Gabriel's position as he did at other times in the game when Gabriel went forward, Jack has slotted in there as the, the left-sided center half almost. So I just, mm-hmm. you know, there are certain things about the way that we play and the way we move the ball. You look at the way Wolves played and, and how quickly they could get the ball forward with two, three, four passes, um, you know, through the midfield. Um, obviously it helps to have some, some players in, in the center of the park who can then, you you know, shift the ball left or right or wherever you want to move it. But it was just, yeah, it was hard to watch. Really hard I mean, to watch. Yeah. Shaka, I, um, you know, I, some people I think were kind of at breaking point with Shaka three or four years ago, to be honest. But uh, I, I've always sort of seen a bit more balance in what he can offer, seen that there were positives there at times. And, you know, even as recently as the cup run in... Mm-hmm. Uh, 2017 and certainly in, in 2020 the, earlier this year you've seen positive dimensions to his game those are really not there right now and I, and I don't know if they're coming back I mean he looks like a player I, I, I like I think we're probably watching the final season of Granite Chakra at Arsenal yeah, I think yeah I hope so I hope so it's time to to move on and to do something different but can I ask you you know you mentioned the cup final and winning yeah. the cup you know, Sabias and Jacka worked in that yep. period. I mean, it wasn't brilliant, but it worked. It was functional enough for us to mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. beat Man City and to beat Chelsea in a cup final. So, to what do we put this decline down to? Is it is it that they were 
playing above themselves in the previous period and this is who they are or is it just much worse now because collectively we are we are having some problems that is really hard to know yeah. i mean i do think that basically in the fa cup final and in the run up to it they were playing in a system that provided them more support you know that was i, I mean basically I, I i accept that the three at the back wasn't working but i i kind of I'm kind of gutted that Arteta changed it, actually. I know we had a conversation during the international mm. break where I sort of said, I sort of hope he doesn't in a weird way, if he doesn't want to. And I kind of feel like he he's into that. I always remember, there's a great analogy Amy Lawrence made about Unai Emery when he was really struggling at Arsenal. She described him as like, a, a manager in a horror movie who is trying to start a car and he's got a whole thing of keys and he's trying to find the right key uh, before <laughs> the killer catches him. And uh, I feel like that's a dangerous place to kind of slip into. And I, I slightly fear that Arteta's moved away from the only thing he had that kind of worked. And because yesterday I just thought the team were completely chaotic, you know, I thought they were entirely unstructured. And Wolves could break at them so easily. I mean, Wolves seemed to, to me to sort of stop attacking us in the second half, which was a, an absolute blessing and a mercy because they could have scored more. Mm. I mean, look, yeah. So you're sort of worried that Arteta has compromised his uh, principles in inverted A little comments. bit. I mean, there but, are things that he was doing that I... Yeah. I'll give you an example. Like, we went to Wolves during Project Restart and we played Ainsley Maitland-Niles as a left wing back mm. against Traore. And he bossed it. Absolutely bossed it. Mm. And in this game, we had a, four, a back four, which meant that half the time Tierney was one-on-one -on -one with Traore, which did not pan out well, as we saw. Mm. And the rest of the time, Bakai Saka, who really is probably our most exciting attacking player, was looking over his shoulder, thinking, I need to... I, I mean, genuinely, like, the, the first time they scored was like the first time Traore was left one-on-one -on -one against Tierney because Saka spent half the game yeah. going backwards, worried about. And, and I just kind of feel like he's he's rolled the dice to try and get something different. But I actually think we're worse off. But I mean, this isn't the first time that he's changed. I mean, the change to a back three was a move away from what he'd done in True. almost every game you know, from the moment he arrived when he took over in December last year. And we started after Project Restart with a back four in the two games against Man City and against um, and against Brighton. And it mm. was uh, a move to a back three after that Brighton defeat, which was him trying to do something different to, to you know, get the team more functional. And it worked, obviously, you know, to an extent. I don't think we played brilliant football, but it worked. So I don't really see the issue... Like changing what I'm is not the issue itself, but but yeah, go on. I was just going to say, I, I suppose what I think is that these centre halves, these central midfielders, they're all, they've all, most of them have got vulnerabilities, and there's something about the back three that protected them, mm. you know, that shields them a little bit. I I accept entirely going forward, it wasn't doing the business, um, but. I, I just, I, 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 now I've got no idea what Arteta wants to do. Do you know what I mean? Like, if yeah. the, I, the conviction 
has wavered for me. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think that's part of why I'm in this this uh, this kind of weird place where I don't quite know what to think, you know, because I can recognize, and I think you can recognize, and most people listening will recognize, as we've said previously, the medium to long-term job that's required at Arsenal, you know, to put right a lot of things that have been wrong for a long time. That's, well, that's you know, that's obvious. But the short term is impossible to ignore as well. Like The you- club have two jobs. I, I, I think we talked about this a little bit before, but the club have two jobs. They, they have to think about the mid to long term. And they also have to think about the next game and this season. And in a funny way, the roles of head coach or manager, that, that role is not, is not always ideally suited to do both those things, it, it, which I know might sound confusing, but, you know, I feel like somebody needed to look after this squad and have one eye on three years, but it feels like a lot of the decisions that were driven by the coach, Aubameyang, Willian, Louise, are very much kind of short-term decisions. I mean, it's all a mess. It's all a mess. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there was a question here from JB at Gunnar Punner. Should the club have been more honest with everyone about how long it was going to take instead of pretending we're on the cusp of Europe and making expensive short-term punts? Um, and that's not a typo. Uh, so, you know... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I, 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 Is it a question of demarcation to an extent in that, like, the manager's job should be more about week-to-week, day-to-day, game-to-game, and the strategy for the two years or three years or long-term should be that of the the sporting director or the technical director or the director of football. I mean, we do, we're only like a, a few months into this current setup. Like, I know Arteta's been there for um, just under a year. Yeah. And Edu... Um, has been there a while, but was basically Raoul's kind of Raoul's man, you know, to face up to whatever. You know, he you know he now has more responsibility, I should say. So it's only a couple of months since since Raoul Sanya he got sacked, our previous director of football, who I think it's fair to say did not make decisions or many decisions that were part of some kind of cohesive long term strategy for squad building. Right, I don't mm. think that's fair. Even if some of the players that were brought in under his watch, I think you can look at Tierney, you can look at uh, Martinelli, you know, as good young players who could be part of our future for for a long time. So, is there too much going on for for one man or for uh, one man and Edu to be working on, or is this a case that it literally has been? the most chaotic end to a transfer window because we fired our director of football uh, in the middle of a pandemic and all the associated COVID stuff that was going on. You know, how do you, how do you find the justification for, for time and patience and all those kind of things when week by week, it's just getting worse on the pitch. And I'm not saying fire Arteta or anything like that, but you have to have, you have to start thinking about conversations when the performances on the pitch aren't matching. Well, here's what I think about the technical director sort of executive situation. Basically when Mikel Arteta says, I really want Willian, 
it has to be somebody's job to say no. <laughs> it has to be somebody's job to say, I hear that you want a player like Willian, but that is not a good move. Sure. I, I agree with that. But at the time when Mikel Arteta said, I want Willian... Arsenal were in absolute chaos behind the scenes. Well, yeah. also, the guy who could get Willian is big mates with Willian's agent. So there was no check or balance there. So if somebody, if Mikel Arteta had said, I want Willian, and somebody had said, look, we can get you Willian, but we're only willing to give him a one-year deal with a plus one dependent on X, Y, or Z, right? Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm. what we're willing to do to get you Willian, because giving... 32-year-old Willian a three-year deal is a, is fucking stupid. Uh, that, I think, would have been okay. And if Willian wasn't open to a one-plus-one deal, well, best of luck to you. You might as well sign your two-year deal at Chelsea or go somewhere else. We don't care. We'll find you a different player, uh, you know, with, with the same characteristics or whatever as Willian, right? Yeah, I think that would have been reasonable, but we did not have... We had somebody there who would facilitate a deal which was to the benefit of the player, to the benefit of the agent, and not necessarily to the benefit of Arsenal, as we're seeing. That's exactly what I mean. So what I'm saying is these are difficult conversations. You know, it might even be, hypothetically, that Arteta would say, well, I, I really want Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang next season. And it might be that if you are a good sporting director with a genuine eye on the kind of mid to long-term future, you might have to sit down with that coach and say, you know, potentially, I don't agree with that move and we're not going to make it for these business reasons. Mm. Now, Listen, I know a lot of people would have wanted the Aubameyang contract signed, but I suppose the point I'm making is you want somebody there who is kind of able to say to a manager, I understand this is what you want, Mm. but for the health of the club, we also need to look at this. And I just feel like when you look at what happened at Arsenal in in the last 12 months, that hasn't even been there. And although we... Although we look at the last transfer window and say, well, we came out of it relatively well, given the chaos that was unfolding behind the scenes, Mm. I do think we will feel the damage of that for some time. You know, I think we were were in an absolute mess. And I think that we'll we'll be dealing with that for for a while. I I suppose what I'm saying is... uh, (laughs) What do Edu do? No, I suppose what I'm saying is... um, I think that, you know, there is an aspect to this, which is, a, you know, a beyond Arteta's remit. Um, and, and in a way, it's concerning, you know, at a time when Sanye was on the way out, there was doubt over Edu. The club consequently put all, a lot of the eggs in the basket of Arteta because they were like, well, he's the, the one good thing we've got going for us. And now, now, obviously, the really troubling thing is that that feels much less certain. It feels much less like a, a sure, surefire win. Yeah. I mean... Um, but the club have put themselves kind of in this position where that's where their eggs are. Yeah. You know, and Arteta has the authority as the manager... It, it really yeah, I mean, does Arteta work for Edu or does Edu work for Arteta? Do well, you know that's what I mean? it. Like I mean, yeah, the closeness. They talk about their closeness and how, how uh, you know, how well they work together. But if 
if you know let's be let's give some credit where it's due i think gabrielle has been a good signing so well done mm-hmm. i think thomas Partey will be a good signing so well done um but if- there are others there are others there's not it's not all it's not all bad recruitment you know i think like tierney uh martinelli we mentioned there've been a few others here and there but but there are some egregious outliers yeah like yeah yeah i know the one you're you're talking about i mean it feels to me like there is very very much a piece missing at executive level you know and I don't know when you make somebody manager how easy it is to fill that to or, put someone in above or, them. or to, to to exactly to put somebody in who's got more authority. I mean, on paper, Edu should be the guy who's deciding the strategy of the club in terms of playing style, in terms of recruitment, in terms of you know how we get to where we're supposed to get to or where we say we want to get to. But I don't see Edu overruling Arteta. Do mm. you? No, and, and I and I I think making Arteta manager was a mistake. Actually, I do think that. I think that was a um, unnecessary move. Mm. Uh, and I think that it disrupts the hierarchy. It makes things a lot less clear. I, I think. I think maybe Edu still being there is a mistake. Well, uh, it's very, very hard for us to judge Edu, but, uh, you know, it, it, he is very much associated with the previous regime. And if yeah, part of the sure. rationale for like, oh, well, we're happy for us for Army to move on is the association with the previous regime. It's strange that that should not apply kind of across the board. Yeah. But again, here we are with you know, only a few months of these two working together in tandem. And logic would tell you that they probably need a bit more time and a few more windows, etc., etc., you know, to to put in place whatever plans they might have. But it's the classic thing in football. Like, there are five, there are five problems at Arsenal. Maybe more than five. Maybe there are 50. But the one that's easiest to fix is you change the head coach. You change the guy who picks the team and, and, you know, does the training sessions Mm. because that's one change you can make that sometimes produces a different result. Well, look, we did it just over a year ago and it did produce, you know, slightly different results. Yeah, for a bit. For a bit. The same same when we appointed Emery, though. Yeah. we We had better results for a bit. So what is this? Is this like... A, uh, uh, a problem of foundations, a problem of of culture or psyche or something like that, that that's running through the club. And if it is, well, do you not then need to to change it radically or, or give somebody the time to implement ideas which might which might change it? I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe like maybe what we saw is with both Emery and Arteta, a kind of new manager bounce, if you Mm -hmm. can call it that, you know, in Emery's case, it produced a 23 match unbeaten run in Arteta's case, it ended up with an FA cup, but ultimately, you know, when that fades away, the, the problems, the problems aren't that different. 
I don't think. In terms of what you see in the team, the problems aren't that different. I mean, oh, yeah, okay, the, let me, the way it looks on the pitch is, is to me, the issues are similar. And that's not to say sure. they're the same coach. I'm just no, saying, no, no. to me, that's just the same underlying things endure. Yeah, well, look, one of the things that, are, you know, I, I talked about this morning in the blog was like, just not knowing what it is that we are trying to do on the pitch. Like, mm. what is... Uh, in inverted commas, the Arsenal way. What is our identity in terms of in terms of playing style? You know, where is it? Because I don't see it. I don't see. It's, it's don't, gone. It's gone completely in the last couple of games. For sure. sure. I mean, like, there was something identifiable there, even if we didn't necessarily even if we hated it. Yeah. Like <laughs> that. Like you could say in three bullet points how do Arsenal play you could sort of do that yeah but <clears throat> since he's changed it you know it is now sort of impossible and and that was Emery's problem wasn't it is that but he changed so much that you just had no idea Th- that is the it's the lack of clarity that is always the problem at Arsenal you know are we and it, it, it works on a micro and macro level you know what is it we're trying to do with the team but more broadly what are we trying to do for the next five years you know what what are yeah. we building towards I, I I insist that if there is a clear adherence and direction to a, like a plan and an idea I insist that fans will buy into it like they did 100% in the post Emirates Stadium move era buy into a philosophy that was not necessarily tied to results and if that existed now I think supporters would get on board with it because I don't think fans are that unrealistic I don't think anyone thinks we should be winning the league yeah you know? is it sort of the mixed messages in that yeah. we 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 we're a club with the need to implement a new culture, a new strategy, a long, medium, long-term plan, but we're doing things which mean you're being judged, not more harshly, um, but we're doing things which mean in the short term, if you don't produce, they feel more egregious, if you like. So mm-hmm. if this summer Arsenal had gone out and they bought in a 19-year-old winger, and, you know, that was somebody who was going to play where Pepe played. There's competition for places. If we got a young centre-half, I mean, we did. Oh, Christ, I mean, we we brought in Gabriel. We've got William Saliba. You know, mm. uh, if we didn't hand uh, an extension to Aubameyang and, you know, sold him and, and reinvested the money in a young striker, if you kind of go all in on one thing, at least if it doesn't work, people can identify what that thing is. Right. You can say, well, this is what they're trying to do. It hasn't quite worked or it's not quite working or it shows promise here. And maybe if we tweak a bit there. But what we've got is this weird mix of like short termism, old players and talented young players who I suppose are the the hope that we've got, you know, because you're only going to be able to squeeze so much out of Willian and Louise and maybe even Aubameyang at this stage. You know, uh, Lacazette fading uh, at 29 years of age, heading Mm -hmm. towards 30. You know, so the hope rests in Tierney. It rests in Saka. It rests in Martinelli. And to, you know, to a lesser extent, some of the the, the other young players, you know, like Gabriel, uh, I don't mean uh, to a lesser extent, but, you know, Willock, Nelson, Nketiah, Smith-Rowe, these kids who may or may not make it, but who might uh, provide you with 
the financial foundations, you know, if you bring them through and you sell them like in a Wobi, to sort of build your squad in that way. But what we've got is this toothpaste and orange juice thing going on here. This is not yeah. this is not peanut butter and chocolate. This is toothpaste and orange juice. The two things just do not go together. Yeah, and I think there is a stylistic issue. I think both... I think fundamentally, you know, Arsenal's coaches over the last couple of years have tried to do things uh, with players that weren't necessarily suited to it, and we've paid for that. I mean, the one thing that is consistent between Emery and Arteta pretty much is sort of that the underlying metrics aren't very good. Even in their good spells, mm. the the underlying metrics say we are a mid-table team. So... Uh, I kind of just keep coming, sort of thinking, well, are we just a mid-table club? And we keep sort of going, I wonder why these coaches keep reverting to being mid-table. And the answer is, because that's how good we are. Well, is that not then an issue of personnel? Or is it, you know, is it a case of, yeah, well, I mean, this is where I'm confused because I look at a team like Leeds, pound for pound, if you like, you know, in uh, the individual yeah, wealth. Sure. Okay. Well, they're mid table, I guess. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, I, I think the league has changed, and we and we have not changed enough with it. I mean, you know, we're not. Listen. I mean, the points gaps aren't that big. You know, I'm not. We're not twenty points off the top. No. We're but, weirdly we are. <laughs> we're four points off fifth. Yeah, I'm not really paying any attention to the league table at this point because it's so volatile and this season more than ever, I think, weirdly, weirdly, kind of anything is possible, even though in a funny way, I sort of think the league season is (laughs) fucked already. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think think it's not just the players that sort of have that mid-table feel. I feel like we operate we, I just don't think we we don't make good decisions. So as a football club, you're not just talking about Mikel Arteta. And I think, you know, some of the decisions that he's made are obviously open to question, given what's happening so far this season. That's entirely reasonable. You're judged as a coach on results and the, and the decisions that you make in terms of team selections. But, but uh, you know, is this... You're talking about as a football club. You're talking about as as an entity, as an organization, the decisions that we've made. And I guess this goes right to the top then, to the owners. The decisions that we have made, like who we get to run the club, who looks after the, the football yeah. side of things, who sanctions the money for, for certain deals, who's running the commercial side of the business, what the actual ethos is of the football club, like the, the the attitude from the top down has an influence on the decisions that you make and the way I that mean, you're perceived. Primarily, I would say, in terms of like, you know, if we look at the, at the decisions the club's made, say with contracts or transfers, a lot of that has to be laid at the feet of the former head of football. And I think it's very fair <laughs> to ask questions of, was there appropriate process for that person to get that job? You know, I think that's... No, there wasn't. Well, there you go. 
there absolutely wasn't. He just got a recommendation from Gazidis and the Cronkies like Gazidis, and they said, okay. Like, it's insane to me. And I wrote about this at the time, and I'm sure I said it on the podcast. It is absolutely insane to me that to run the most important department in an organization, football club, running the football side of a football club, you could give that job to somebody just because a guy who's fucking off to AC Milan gives you a a nod and says, yeah, he's a good guy, he'll do a good job, despite the fact he's never done that job anywhere. You're talking about a multi-million pound organization who've given the top job to a guy just because some other guy said so. In no other industry or business would that kind of recruitment policy be looked at as anything other than laughable, that there's no process, no, no interviews, no due diligence, none of it. You just give it to that guy because that that other guy said so. Mm. It's just I, not the right way to run anything. No, and I think that I think that has held us back massively. Um, and like I say, I think we'll we'll be paying for it both literally and figuratively for mm. a little while. Um, but you know, I, there are so there are all these kind of umbrella issues, you know, around the way the club is 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 run more generally. But I do think that we have to look at the technical side of it, and we have to look at Arteta as well. And, mm. and, and the troubling thing, and the reason I guess there's going to be so much discussion about the manager's position is when you're an experienced manager, and then things start going badly. At least as a supporter, you can go well. They turned it around before. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Or they've got a track record of weathering the storm. Yeah. In the case of Arteta, just as, you know, his inexperience enabled us to project positively onto him and to say, maybe he's Klopp, maybe he's Guardiola, maybe he's a genius. It also leaves a big vacuum Mm. when crisis bites. For sure. And we have no idea if he can handle this. That's true. But I think that's mm-hmm. what we... Did we did we, sign up for that. We did sign up for it. We accepted that. Yeah, you know, as a football club. And, and you know, we knew that this was a a young guy with no experience uh, at management. And I think you know, there's probably a really interesting discussion to be had about coach versus manager. You can be a good coach, but not necessarily a good manager. You know, there are countless examples of that in football down the years. Now, we don't know one way or the other with Arteta. There are things that as much as I want him to succeed, and I really do, I want him to be everything that we want him to be. There are things that have happened over the last few months where I I sort of question the management not necessarily the coaching, even though there are obviously questions about that, but the management of certain issues and the management of certain players. Mm-hmm. And whether that's having an impact on the squad as a whole or, or not, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I think Arteta, you know, the, the standout examples of that are the players that um, have been kind of ostracised or, or left out of the group. But I think it's as much an issue, the players that he has put his faith in. Well, yeah, and I I feel like that is uh, that is as troubling to me. You know, the fact that he would, I don't know, the decisions, the positive decisions he's made about players, 
Um, I'm thinking of people like Willian or, or Louise or Shaka uh, worry me as much as anything else, you know? Mm. Yeah, I mean, look, there, there have just been so many issues, you know, with with uh, with players that are hard to make sense of. And I fully accept that we don't have all the information. I accept that. But, you know, the the Socrates, Ozil, Willian, Saliba, all of those things, mm-hmm. um, there's probably Ginduzi. more. Ginduzi, you know, there, there are... There are just a lot of those in the last few months that I guess would put your radar on edge a little bit. Put your radar on edge. That's the wrong mixing my metaphors there, but you know what I mean. It just make yeah. you go ding ding ding. What's going on here? Is this too many of them, or is it is it such a thing, or have we been such a basket case of a a football club that it's inevitable that if you are going to come in and uh, and change the culture and you want to do things your own way, you're going to have these issues until such time as you can build the squad in whatever image it is that you want to build it in. And and those things kind of make sense, but they've got to be tied to results also. Like it's all well and good saying he's going to come in, he's going to change the culture. Well, that's great. But if we're losing week after week... Well, this is a really interesting question. How much does that matter? How like, much does what matter? Uh, the culture or... No, no, no. Like, how much does it matter if Arsenal come, like, 12th this season? Like, if 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 there's a sort of long-term justification... And I'm not saying there is, but if it's like, you know, we have to... I don't know if there's a direction behind that does it matter if you can see what that direction is yeah I think it's easier it's easier to to understand it I mean listen I don't think people will like it no (laughs) no, nor should they but no no but kind of I kind of um, well I think it's I think it's plausible frankly, that will be ensconced somewhere in the mid-table. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but I suppose what I mean is, what if... Like, Arsenal, Arsenal have got into bed with Arteta in a big way, and part of that bargain that they've sort of struck is that he is going to have to learn on the job. Mm. And if this season, for example, is a learning experience... Is that something people are prepared to stomach? I I don't know the answer to that. My guess is probably not. No, well, I mean, I I guess it depends what he learns and how quickly he learns it and how quickly it becomes apparent that he's learned it. Like, if we go through this terrible period and he re-evaluates and starts to do certain things differently or approaches games differently or, or changes his tactics or whatever it is, yeah, it's got to be tied to results, though. But, like you like, can't just say you can't go through the rest of this season lurching to three consecutive home defeats and then a draw and then maybe a big win against you know it wouldn't surprise me at all if we beat Tottenham just because of who we are right now it wouldn't surprise me but does that make the issues that we have against teams like Leicester and Wolves and Aston Villa which just we should never play anyone from the Midlands again I think mm-hmm. that would probably be the thing but you know it doesn't solve that side of things 
Let so, me say, I will be very surprised if we beat Tottenham. Yeah, so will I. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, okay, uh, just... but, but I understand what you're saying. Um, yeah, I don't know. And of course, like the hope of improvement, the hope of Arteta learning on the job is a hypothetical. You can't yeah. promise anybody that. Yeah. And mm. I had something else to say, but I can't remember. Well, look, I'm sure we'll come back to it in part two. Um, okay. But I think we need to just maybe finish off on the game a little yep. bit in terms of, you know, what we did in that in that second half. And, you know, one of the issues that I think we've we've discussed on the podcast before is is game management and in-game management. And I know we made the halftime change and I thought it was interesting to hear, you know, Klopp talking at the weekend about the need for five subs or his desire, I should say, for five subs because of the yeah. the the demands that are being placed on players at this moment in time. You're reluctant to make your final change because you just don't know if someone's going to pull a hamstring or a calf muscle or a groin or whatever it might be. But it, it was strange to me that it took until the 81st minute to bring on another striker in a game in which we desperately needed a goal. I know we had a couple of half chances. I mean, I think the the Bellerin cross for Saka was maybe a little yeah. bit difficult, but the Aubameyang header, I think he should score that. I think there was maybe a lack of conviction in his attempt uh, on goal. So there were a couple of chances, but it still felt a little strange that it took for uh, just nine minutes left in the game before we brought on Lacazette. I agree. And look, you had Lacazette and Nketiah both on the bench. Mm. We'd adopt... I mean, it was very... Listen, Arsenal are being criticised today for chucking in a load of crosses, and I think that's right. But there was also a degree to which game state kind of informed that. You know, Wolves were penned very deep and very narrow, and we're terrible at breaking teams down. So it was kind of inevitable. Given that, not bringing on an extra striker was really bizarre, I thought. And yeah. Uh, yeah, the subs. Nelson for Willian, I could kind of see, you know, but I don't think it made us. It didn't. Make, it didn't change anything. Didn't change much, did it? Um, not, not even really, if I really. even if I would prefer to see Nelson develop and learn and and make some progress than Willian, you know, and, and acknowledging the fact that he put in a cross which led to our goal. Um, I, yeah, neither was better or worse than the other, I wouldn't say, on the night. Like, I genuinely think it made almost no difference. Yeah, he looked, he looked uh, fucked off coming off as well, didn't he? I, I mean, I'm not, that, I'm not he might sort of saying that because I feel sorry for him. But, you know, maybe it might fucking book him up a little bit. And then, you know, I think there was there was a need to do something more quickly, you know, get rid of Maybe one of the... Maybe he was conservative because he'd lost a sub already, but I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah, we did need to change it because like I said, I don't think Wolves were any great shakes in that second half. I don't think, that, you know, they really sat in, they they, they didn't have quite to inhibited. Be. No. They didn't have to be. We are, we must be like the easiest team to play against at the moment. Like well, there we is are. no, we are. there's no fear factor whatsoever, is there? If you're the opposition, you're looking at Arsenal, you're going, well, who's, who's going to cause us problems today? Maybe Aubameyang, if they can get him into a position in which, you know, he could take a couple of shots. But we can't do that really with any great frequency. Maybe someone like Bakayo Saka, who's got the individual quality to, to do something. But apart from that, who are you worried about? 
Not many. Not many at all. I mean, you, you, you're, we are an easy team to play against. Numbers bear that out. I mean, mm. Our opponents keep the ball, I think, almost longer than any other team's opponents. We don't, we don't disrupt them. It's, 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 uh... Oh, this is what I was going to say. Yeah. In terms of the sort of time thing, the, a team this problematic, I don't think gets good in the space of a season. I just don't see it. I don't see where the improvement's going to come from with this group. Which, I, maybe that's just, you know, an emotional response because we've been so bad the last couple of games. And maybe once you add Partey and Pepe and a few others, that changes. But I'm not convinced that either this manager or this group of players, it's suddenly going to click. I really, I'm really not sure. Like, I almost think there's a decision to be made of like we we get someone in who can who can make it click quickly, and we go for that quick fix, or we just have to let this play out for a much longer time. Mm. Uh, and football doesn't really work like that unless you've got a really clear strategy, a really clear plan that you are able to communicate, and that your transfer business backs up and that the fans are on board with, I'm just not sure that's realistic. I'd be fine with it. I, that, honestly, I'd be fine with it. Like, it, I'd rather... I read your blog the other day about time and, mm. you know, constant change. If you said to me, right, James, it's going to be shit, basically, <laughs> for another 18 months, but there's going to be an, a clear plan. We're going to buy young players under the age of 23. We're going to build across that time. And by 2022, we can actually make a serious push for a Champions League place. I'd be like, that's okay. But that's my prerogative and not everyone else is going to feel like that. And there's also no guarantee it would work. No, but, but I think... Look, it feels like we are lurching from decision to decision, making short-term decisions because of short-term events. Yeah, without... and that's hurting us, Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I really feel like there is a need for a plan and for a strategy. And I can't, I can't imagine that there isn't one. You know, he strikes me as the kind of guy who, who does think about you know how he how he's going to get the team and how he's going to get the club back to where he wants to get it or where he says he wants to get it but you have mm. to have the two things you have to have the plan and you also have to have the right person to execute it you know yeah i, I want to believe there's a plan but then i just sort of look at william and i'm like how's that in the plan you know what i mean it just makes me think mm. that's such a short term move like, if, if instead of Willian, we'd bought a promising 18-year-old Brazilian mm. who was finding his feet in the league at this point, we'd all be able to go, yeah, but in 12 months, he'll be a hell of a player. Yeah. But mm. you can't really do that at the moment. It, you, you just kind of feel like, well, half these guys are going to get worse. Um, and so that's why it's sort of troubling. Mm-hmm. There was, yeah, uh, you know, there was a lot that was really frustrating about Project Youth, but it was a clear story that we could all attach ourselves to. 
And at the moment, there's just been so much change that honestly, like it's like the ground is constantly moving beneath our feet. Yeah. And and consequently, a lot of decisions have been taken in very chaotic circumstances and they were not all good decisions. No. Yeah, to try and fix some of these short-term To try issues. and get a quick fix, exactly. Or but just because that person was under pressure. Yeah. You know, maybe that manager was under pressure or that executive or, you know, things were spiralling beyond their control. Uh, there have been a lot of slightly panicky moves. And, I, I mean, I remember we had this conversation in the summer and I was happy that Aubameyang stayed and I was happy that he yeah. signed a new contract and I took that as a real positive. But I do remember ha- saying in the conversation, I had there was a nagging part of me thinking, this might be wrong. Like someone might as a fan I was like I want our best player to stay I want our top goal scorer to stay but it's not my job to make that decision someone smart needs to be in the room saying yeah maybe but we could get 50 million quid and we could do this with that and that with that and and I just worry are those smart voices in the room are, are those arguments being made loudly enough mm. because it, there's enough decisions that kind of add up to a slightly worrying picture and listen this is all recent and you know at Wembley we were all happy you know what I mean mm. but it, 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 it's it's evaporated very 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 quickly yeah yeah look you know win a few games Aubameyang scores a few goals and everything looks a bit rosier but right now it's very difficult to see to see that happening, you know? Yeah, it I sort is. Of had I mean, this, it literally is. I sort of had this weird notion going into the game last night, and I thought to myself, like, how nice would it be to, you know, score a couple of goals early in the game, maybe win relatively comfortably, and just sort of build on that. But every time you have a result like that, every time you have a performance like that, it just feels like whatever foundations were being put in place are, are kind of are crumbling a bit, you know? Um, mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it is really worrying. It is really worrying. And this league being what it is now, you know, we've been saying this all season. There's no run of games coming up that you think, no, Oh, we'll win those. And that's, that tells you about the league has changed, but it also tells you where we are, you know? Yeah. To come back to it, we keep being surprised. We look like a mid-table team, but I sort of, I sort of worry that that's what we've got. I, I remember when I do the the match previews for the blog mm. in the not too distant past, I'd be able to say, "Look, I think you know it's going to be a tricky game. X, Y, and Z are are you know a reasonable team, but I think we've got enough in us to to win the game or you know if we don't take three points today it would be very disappointing you know based on who we're playing etc etc yeah right now it feels like if we take three points from anyone it'd be a fucking miracle you know it's (laughs) genuine i can't i can't say that about any team i look at any team in this league and think well that's going to be tough if we take three points from this i'd be delighted not 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 so much. Obviously, losing to, to Wolves is is disappointing, but is it surprising? I mean, look, these are our league games between now and New Year's Day. <laughs> so we've got Spurs away, <gasps> Burnley at home, mm. 
Southampton at home, Everton away, mm. uh, Chelsea at home, Uh-oh. Brighton away, West Brom away, Burnley at home. I think we'll win that. The rest, I've got no, I've got no clue. Genuinely, like I, like I, well, well my suspicion is we won't win them. <laughs> well, <laughs> or we will we'll win some. You know, there'll be some variants. There'll be close games. We'll get the luck, and you know, we'll be mid-table. We'll win some. We'll lose some. That's that's who we are. And and listen, I, I know that we've got better players than that. I know we should be top. I don't know, seven or eight at least. Well, in terms of in terms of the investment in the squad and yeah. in terms of the wage bill and everything else, that that's you know that's the minimum. But when you consider the actual quality of the players, I mean, I think the 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 thing for me is that I look at pretty much every other team in the Premier League right now, and I see them play, and I think, what what is this mad stuff that they're doing? Passing and moving, and you know, getting the ball forward quickly to to players in attacking yeah. position. What is that? Like it feels yeah. almost like everyone else plays football that is, if not a higher level than than we should be aspiring to, uh, at least more organised and coherent than what we're doing right now. Absolutely, and ball progression is is Arsenal's big issue like we all talk about shots let's have more shots and I get mm. that but that's sort of a bit like saying let's get more cherries when we haven't baked any cakes do you know what I mean it's like you've got to mm. get there we don't get there yeah we don't get there so we don't progress through the midfield particularly with Sabas and Shaka at the moment the way they're playing um, I think you know <sighs> I think I think Lacazette had loads of problems. I really do, but at least he was in that space. And there's just, I mean, yesterday they just felt like there was nobody in that space. Yeah, let's throw in a load of crosses to fucking Johnny Nobody. Um, okay, look, we need to take a break here because uh, we've been going for over an hour. Um, yeah. We'll be right back with your questions and more in part two right after this, but we cannot guarantee that the discussion based on those questions will not be more of the same. <laughs> When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. (laughs) 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to part two of the Arscast Extra, in which we answer the questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog, on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. Before we get into the questions, I have to read this tweet out, which I thought was very funny. Um, <laughs> it comes from Dukes, who's at Duke Nans, and he says, once again, the main problem with the Arsenal lineup is that it's full of Arsenal players. I do <laughs> not know how we can get past that hurdle. <laughs> uh, made me point. laugh, yeah. <laughs> it's a really fair point. Uh, a difficult obstacle to overcome. It sure is. Right, should we have a cheerful question? Yeah, let's, well, I, I also like this one from the Discord, uh, from Sam Cam... Sam Kazmi, who says, should we just sign Andy Carroll to get on the end of Tyranny's Crosses? Based on what we play, so. <laughs> yeah, I also like this from Under Freddy on the Discord. He says, Adama Traore is built like a brick shithouse. How did he go down like that? Oh, my uh, God. That was funny for people. <laughs> I think I have that clip here. Actually, if you just hold on one second. Rob Holding, uh, less than impressed. Hang on one second. And... Oh, holding. <laughs> How's he gone down like that? He's built he like, like a bitch How's he I gone mean, down like that? Fair question, to be That's honest. It. Actually, yeah, the, between uh, Rob Holding. How's he gone down like that? And then Hector. I feel like this my whole life. Those two <laughs> need to have like a high-pitched battle, a uh, rap battle for bats. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully high enough that we don't have to hear it. It's out of our frequency. <laughs> um, okay. Right. Let's, let's let's get into it, shall we? Yeah. Where is this question? Here we go. Uh, oh, I've lost it, Andrew. You go. I had a really good one, but I've I've got it. I've got it. Okay. Phew. Team Talk KT on the Discord mm-hmm. says, "What are the parameters for Arteta to get the sack this season?" And then he adds, "Arsenal went big into the Arteta project over the summer. It feels as if it would take a relegation battle for them to pull the plug." Yeah, probably something like that, or just not winning any games. Uh, you know, if we continue on this streak of, of well, I mean, three consecutive home defeats. What is it now? It's um, three from five. Three West defeats from our last five. The early eighties, isn't it? Yeah. I so I mean, we beat Man United away. That was good. Um, but yeah, I mean, we haven't had. We've had two consecutive wins at the start of the league against West Ham and Fulham. But since then, it's just two wins from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. 
games, you know, mm-hmm. ten or eight games rather. So it's not good. Uh, look, what are the parameters? I, I guess if it just becomes blindingly obvious that it's not working um, or the players have given up or they don't believe or if he, you know, if he cannot manage his way out of this period, you know, as we said in the first half, we don't know if he can respond, but if he can get a response from his team, if he can apply some measure of consistency, I think they will obviously stick with him. But if he can't, if it gets worse, if the performances get worse, if the results get worse, if the stats get worse, you know, at some point you have to say, even if you're looking for stability, you know, we've got to do something differently. Um, the good news, I think, for Arsenal fans is I think there are worse teams than us in the league. Are we are we that classically too good to go down? Have I just jinxed, uh, jinxed us into the championship? I don't think so. I think we've got... No, there's some bad teams out there. Some bad teams out there. And, uh, you know, maybe that's our fail safe. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, I think it's just a question of, of looking at what happens. But like you yeah. said, we've gone big on him. So I feel like they're going to give him the time. They're going to give him the opportunity to turn things around. More but, so than with Emery, right? They're more invested yeah. in Arteta than they were. Yeah. They've made him manager. They've spoken very publicly about their support at, mm. right up to ownership level. Um, so, I, you know, I don't think... I don't think his job is in jeopardy right now, for example. Mm. Um I think, like all managers, if he loses the dressing room, mm. there's kind of no choice. Yeah, is the awkward reality, and um, I don't, I can't say, you know, I don't think that is the case right now. Um, but results, results win you the faith of the players as much as the fans, you know. Yeah, but again, we go back to like winning the cup a few months ago and everybody seemed to be bought into it and Aubameyang stayed because he believed in Arteta. You know, know. that was part of why he stayed and the same, you know, why they invested in in Saka, you know, all all of those things. So it's easy to to view things when uh, through a very dark lens when it's not going well. You know, to look at everything and everybody and think, well, this is fucked from top to bottom. Nobody's any good. And we're basically fucked as a football club, as an institution, an organization, or IP Arsenal. Yeah. You know, it is. And look, that might be the case. Maybe nobody is any good. Maybe we are completely and utterly fucked. But, you know... It felt better a few short weeks ago when the sun was shining and, and everything else. So it's possible that it can can come back the other way, you know? Yeah, it can change quick. Um, Luther Yumberg, who's at Yumberg Luther, says, Seeing as Arteta and Edu lack obvious experience in their respective roles and the club seemingly being rudderless or lacking clear direction, could or should an addition such as Ralph Ranić or, dare I say, Arsene Wenger be explored? Uh, I think they should be explored. I think it will be difficult to justify to Edu. I think... What we're basically saying there is, can we not have a better version of Edu? <laughs> Isn't it? Kinda, I guess. Like, you know, if Arsene Wenger, like, I mean, it's not going to happen, but not like a if a very senior figure comes in above Edu, well, I suppose he had that in Sanyei, so it's just reverting to that. Mm. Um, it's reverting yeah, but to it that would structure. be an obvious 
demotion now. Not that I, not that I would, I, I would have any problem with that, by the way. No, just, no, no. Uh, that's it. I mean, I sort of think it's fair to ask the question: Should we have someone more experienced there? But I do think maybe it would come at the expense of one of the inexperienced people, unless they were just prepared to swallow it and be like, "Yeah, I'm going to learn my trade under Ralph Ranick for the next three years." Mm. Um, I, I, you know, I think that's not a bad shout. Football it, experience is very lacking, isn't it, at the, at the highest level of the club? Oh, it is. Yeah. It is, because we've got... I mean, look, Edu has experience. There's no question about it. He has experience at club level with Corinthians and obviously with the Brazil national team, but in a different role, I think. Different role, than different the one he's expected as well. Yeah, of course, than the one he's expected to fill in now. And Arteta, his inexperience, we're all very much aware of, and we knew that going into this. Uh, at executive level, what else is there? You know, the contracts guy is gone. Raul Sanyehi is gone. Again, not shedding any tears over these people, but they're gone. No, no. Uh, Vinay is, is very much the, the business side of it. You know, that's the other side of the club. Mm. Um, Tim so Lewis, th- theoretically, you know, his remit should be more on that side as well. Yeah. I mean, he, he can look at the processes and look at, you know, what's going on from that perspective. But yeah, it's more about the running of the organisation than the running of the football club. I mean... To what extent should we, as a football club, operate in a way which, how do I put this, makes the role of manager slash head coach, whatever you want to call it, more transient, not the right word, but, but expendable. sort of expendable, like the club has a philosophy. The club has a playing style. The club has players that it wants to bring in. And you, as the head coach slash manager, are going to operate within that framework. Now, it feels like we're in a position where the club's strategy or identity is maybe too closely tied to the manager. Well, we've come full circle, haven't we? Yeah. Like, yeah. But then, well, let me ask you this. Mm. Let's say somebody made a decision to get rid of Mikel Arteta tomorrow. Are you, do you, would you feel comfortable in trusting Edu with being that person? No. Yeah. No, but this yeah. is what I mean. Like, when we talked about identity in the first part of the, the show, like, what is it? What is it and how do we get it and how do we build it and how do we rebuild it or, or you know, where does it come from? Should it come from the club or should it come from, you know, the manager? And maybe in a year's time we're sitting here going, wow, okay, now I see where we are, who we are, what we want to do, how we want to do it. And I can see how we put the, the, the building blocks in place, you know, to, to build a team and everything else. Right? So I have to be fair to Arteta and to the club, which is that my understanding is that there is, there was at least in the summer some sort of plan. You know, a vision was presented sure. by Edu, which was like, this is how we want to play, and these are the players we need to get to get to that point. Um, and it's not what we're seeing at the moment. That's for sure. Um, um, uh, what I was told is that it was based around playing with a four-three-three. Uh, you know, obviously Thomas Partey was pretty much the key piece in that, potentially with another creative midfield player. Mm. 
I so, like I like that. I like the sound of that. Yeah, but we um, but but we're not there yet, are we? <laughs> That's the fucking understatement of the year, right there. But what I mean is, we're yeah. not even really there that we could sort of pretend at it. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, clearly Arteta's made a decision technically that we're so far from there in terms of personnel that we're not even really going to attempt it. But then are you not better doing it and creating... I think so, yeah. You know, do it, even if you don't necessarily have all the players you might like, but play that way and play with that system and play with whatever, uh, you know, plan you have. And as you you know, you see shortcomings or whatever, you replace those pieces or you upgrade on the pieces, you know, that you need to upgrade on, but you you put them into the system that's already there. Mm. Like, I don't know what it is we're doing right now. I don't know what our intent is in games. I don't know how we want to attack. Here we go with the I don't knows again. But if you have a philosophy, if you have a style of play, I get there's a need for expediency and everything else, but surely it'd be better to just say, this is what we're doing. And as time goes on, we're going to make it better bit by bit by bit. You know, is that not what, uh, I know it's a a spurious comparison, um, but is that kind of not what Klopp did at Liverpool? In that when he came in, he played in a specific way or, you know, he wanted his players to operate within a specific way, uh, you know, in terms of how they uh, pressed and everything else. And some of his players weren't very good at it. And their results were up and down and they fluctuated and everything else. But, you know, over time it became the philosophy of the club and the way that the club played, the team, Mm. you know? Yeah, I mean, I kind of... I imagine I'll be in a minority here, but I kind of feel that is the progression that we were making until quite recently. Like, although ostensibly we sort of played with a three at the back, you know, in possession, it it sort of wasn't really that. And there were little tweaks happening that made me think there's direction, there's there's a direction of travel. There's like a movement, an evolution happening in this team. Mm. What worries me now is that I I don't it's like we've it's like we it's like we've sort of adopted a, a different plan now like I, I don't see any of the kind of and, and you know there were there were there were flaws within it so for example like eventually we had to let go of the third center back thing entirely and let that be a, a midfield player and you know Lacazette was never going to be the long-term centre-forward. He didn't have the, the energy, yeah. the quality, but eventually we'd get one or, or a Bamiang would move. But I just feel like it feels like um, either we've gone too quickly or we've moved too fast, but it just feels like the, the blueprint has gone, you know? It feels like he's gone back to the drawing board almost. Mm. It's, it, it, yeah. It's, it's a... It's a really, really tough position, by the way, for him to be in now. And, and as an inexperienced manager who, who himself doesn't know that he can come through this. I mean, it's really difficult. I think we are going to find out because I don't think he's going anywhere. We find out one way or the other anyway, but... Well, that's it. Yeah, we will find out. I mean, you know, it will have to get, in answer to sort of the original question, it will have to get pretty, pretty bad for him to be sacked because I think the word you're looking for is worse. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, like, I think yeah, it yeah, would yeah. have I to know. be I know. Ca- catastrophic, you know? Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. Um, and maybe that's the wise way to approach it. Maybe. But again, we're we're sitting here um, projecting and hoping and and everything else. I yeah. Mm-hmm. Look, a lot depends on how we respond. But you know, I was looking last night for Arsenal to respond after two home defeats and after a disappointing game against Leeds. You're looking for a response, and there really yeah. wasn't one. No, and even I mean if we it was get something against Spurs. Yeah, it was slightly better in the second half but I think that was as much to do with Wolves sitting back and being prepared to to soak up the pressure and maybe trying to hit us on the break which they well, tried to do a couple of times well, what does that tell you as well they believed they could soak up that yeah pressure. of course of course there yeah. aren't many teams out there right now if they go a goal up against Arsenal aren't going to feel well you know it would be a disappointment now if we don't take three points I mean, the funny thing is, I think Wolves and Arsenal are actually quite similar teams. I think, like, they profile quite similarly. But they basically, you know, they don't really want the ball. Mm. <laughs> they will hurt you in a counter-attack, maybe. Um, but their main emphasis is on protecting their goal. I do think, yeah, tactically, the, the, the mm. ideas aren't that far apart right now. Um, shall we have another question? Mm-hmm. Air North says, why are we complaining about the Europa League? They're the only games worth watching. <laughs> Who's complaining at this point? I mean, speaking of eggs in baskets, yeah, that's got to be a, an increasing priority for us, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think it always was anyway. Yeah, yeah. Especially once we get out of the group stage and, and we're into the knockouts. I mean, I think you'll be seeing really strong teams mm. from Arsenal. Yeah, look, once you get to the knockout stages, you could be facing pretty pretty decent teams, but I think... I fear for us against a team dropping in from the Champions League, that's for sure. Yeah. Is that still a thing? I think so. Right. I thought I read somewhere that that maybe wasn't or... Oh, really? Anyway, that yeah. would be really great if that's true. I don't know. I could be completely wrong. I could be completely wrong, but... Um... Uh, okay, here's a question from arm underscore in on the Discord, um, who says, do you think there's any chance that at some point Arteta will go full youth and ditch all the usual fuckers? Would fans be more forgiving if he gave more chances to Hayland youth? For a bit. Yeah, for a bit they would. But results are everything. Mm. Honestly, results are absolutely everything. And, you know... We can hypothesize about, oh, we'll just play the kids. But as soon as you start losing games, it's going to be... An kids issue aren't good you. enough then uh, either, so, yeah. Exactly. I, we need I mean, more experience immediately. Did it, didn't he, kind of, in one of his games. His last game in charge, he kind of put a load of kids out. Goodson Park, wasn't it, a nil-nil? Yeah, actually, yeah. He did. Um, he dropped pretty much everybody, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, it was like a real statement team. Arteta was in the stands that day. That's right. Uh, I... I is this a thing that he doesn't give chances to kids? I'm not sure I fully buy that. You know, I, I think Saka's playing, Willock's now playing. I think he's keen to make sure that kids aren't just thrown in and left exposed and left to left to kind of fend for themselves. Because, you know, there is a, there is a need to find some balance. 
you know, between youth and experience. You, you I think know, the that's... bigger problem is our experienced players aren't performing, isn't it? Yeah. You know, Gabriel's only 22 or something. He's been probably our best player. You know, Kieran Tierney's not an old man. He's only He's 22 young, as well, yeah. They're young guys. Uh, I think it's, you know, the experienced players that we're mm. most worried about. Uh, the team that day um, included from the start Maitland-Niles, Smith-Rowe, Saka, Nelson and Martinelli. Uh, that, that Freddie picked that day. I mean, it wasn't good, though. It was Terrible game. Oh, it's awful. Correctly. Yeah, I went up to Everton. It was dreadful. Mm. Absolutely awful. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure throwing all the kids in is going to make it better. I'm really, really not. Um, what about this? Uh, lots of questions about Abemiang. Basically, mm-hmm. uh, Ben Ashton on Twitter. Are you concerned by how disinterested Abemiang looks? Do you think he might be sick of our approach or fed up of a lack of quality around him? And then JG says, is Abemiang a good captain when he's not scoring? He looks dejected and struggles to empower others on the pitch. Look, if you're looking for a Tony Adams style captain, then, you know, that's not who Abemiang is. Um, and it's never who he's been. No, no. it's not. It's not. And nobody was complaining about Aubameyang's captaincy when he was scoring the goals to beat Man City and beat Chelsea to take us to the to the cup, you know? Yeah. So there was no question about that side of things. Does he look pissed off? Yes, he does. There's no question about it. Would I be pissed off if I were him and I was playing not in a team? with all that money. Uh, even so. <laughs> Scoring goals is more important than money for me, James. can tell you Do that. You- so uh, on the sort of debate of is the problem Arsenal or is the problem Aubameyang, are you firmly on the it's Arsenal? I'm I, I'm saying it's a, a little from column A and a bit from column B. You know, I think yeah. I think he is a player who is going through a poor run of form. It's unfortunate that, you know, his first un, uh, bad run of form has come after he signed a massive new contract because I think we as Arsenal fans are are somewhat scarred by that. Yes, once bitten, twice shy and all that. You know, there is something in our recent history which makes us hypersensitive to that. Um, But I do think it is as much down to the team not providing him with a great deal of service. Like, I know he had a shot against Leeds and he had one last (laughs) night, didn't he? (laughs) What? It's just funny, isn't it? Being like, you know, know, obviously, I know he had a shot against Leeds. Like, we're we're clinging to that. (laughs) I guess so. But, you know, it's not like he's been given three or four clear-cut chances a game and he's missing them all. Like, he missed one last night, but it was really the only one. He nearly got on the end of that Tierney cross in the first half. Do you remember? Good defending from Cody, I think it was. Really good defending, actually. Um, So... Yeah, look, I think maybe because he is the captain, he feels more responsibility. I don't know. Maybe, you know, that's part of why he's so pissed off, because he knows as captain, you know, he's the supposed leader of the team and feels a bit more responsibility. I don't know. But, like, I think he is pissed off. And I can understand why he is pissed off. But the solution isn't, you know, simply down to him. Yeah, I mean, I, like, I'm do you think? A- do you think, like, after um, 
the joy of winning the FA Cup and signing a new deal and, and being proud of that and everything he's talked about. You know, he's proud of being captain and he's, he's like a, a mentor to a lot of these young players. They really like him and he feels, you know, um, not responsible for them, but I, you know, he connects with those young players really well, you know, from what you hear on the training ground. You know, he's a good guy to have around, et cetera, et cetera. I don't, I don't believe that he's just stopped giving a shit. No, I don't believe I don't that. I think it's just part of the wider malaise. And we're yeah. extrapolating from that because there are other factors which have terrified us in the past. Listen, he's happy if he's scoring goals and he's not scoring goals at the moment. And some of that is on him, but a lot mm. of it is on the team. I think it's so hard assessing the attacking players genuinely because I do think they just don't get the ball. <laughs> so so I don't know what to say about it. I mean, uh, Aubameyang, there's no service. Mm. So he's not a player and has never been a player, really. In fact, I tell a lie. I was going to say he's not a player who sort of scores remarkable individual solo goals that you're kind of, you know, that, that, that are like one-man efforts. Mm. In reality, there were times last season when he was that. You yeah. know, when he was scoring goals from positions which were unreasonable to expect him to score from. And he was outperforming uh, his XG. He was, you know, doing pretty heroic stuff. But he's not someone who's consistently done that across his career. And he's someone who is dependent on service. And I think um, it's just not there. It's just not there at all. Mm. So no wonder he looks pissed off. I mean... You know, ostensibly, Aubameyang, Lacazette, Willian, they're all in really, really bad form. But I kind of think it's unlikely that they would all be in really bad form at once without there being quite significant outside factors in that. You know, without there being reasons. And and uh, there must be... There are reasons. We don't attack well. Mm. Yeah, we don't. Um, yeah, and I mean, they're probably all pissed off. I mean, you said Willian looked pissed off when he went off yesterday. I'm sure Lacazette was pretty pissed off, sat there for 81 minutes. I'm sure Aubameyang's pissed off not getting his service. I'm sure they're all royally fucked off. Um, and it doesn't mean there's no blame on them and they couldn't do better, but the, the, the team is not serving them at all. Yeah, I'm sort of curious to what extent the team themselves might or how they might feel about this and the way that they're being being asked to play like, well, oh, I just, I, 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 knowing footballers they won't be happy at all just, because they're not winning yeah. I mean do you remember when Arteta came in what we heard from the players was what we love about him is he, he has a really clear plan he tells you how things are going to happen on the pitch and mm. then they happen like that Yeah, and that's why we believe in him and that belief must be shaken right now. It would only be logical for it to be shaken. But that's the weird thing about Arteta. Like, it's not like that didn't happen. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. not like it never worked. Or he said, well, we're in a long process and eventually we'll get some results. He showed a capacity to improve players and get results. It's just hit... Uh, an absolute dead end, hasn't it? We certainly hit a wall 
Yeah. Yeah. And some of that is being figured out by other by opponents. I, I'm sure of that. Yeah. Them being onto what we do. Um, but maybe it's also just a kind of a, a point in his individual development. Mm. I, I mean, we've said before, haven't we, that, you know, there are always going to be some bumps in the road. Um, our friend uh, West Antone says, hopefully there'll be some road in the bumps soon because it feels like <laughs> just a lot of fucking bumps. Yeah, there's this road near me, which is like all bumps. And I hate going down it because you've got to go so slow. And even when you do, we're on that road, basically. Mm. The underside, my underside is getting scuffed by all these bumps. Enough about your undercarriage. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I don't know what else we can really discuss because so many of the questions are the same. One more then from Tempo Physio, who says, should we go to a back three until party returns? I'd rather draw nil-nil than lose. 100%. For me, no doubt in my mind that against Tottenham, we should be employing what I'll call the FA Cup final tactics. Um, you know, I'd probably bring El Nenny in as well if he's fit and he can play, if he's well. Um, so what's your, probably... what's, your, what's your team for Tottenham then? Um, Emmy Martinez. <laughs> <laughs> can I just say that uh, our goalkeeper playing in our away kit is Imagine. a fucking shambles. I know it's and not Rob, the biggest thing in the grand scheme, but yeah, it's just, yeah. why did that happen? It's something to do with a clash with Wolves' kit. Why uh, don't that, Wolves change their fucking kit? They're, they're away. I know. I don't know. They forgot to bring it with them. I don't know. It was weird. No, but this it? was this was earmarked the day before the game. They put up the colours on the Arsenal website and everyone's like, what? What the fucking, what's he doing wearing that? I don't understand kits because sometimes we should be wearing away kits and we're not or we wear the third kit. I mean, the rules have all gone out the window. But, you know, I, we as the home team should wear our proper home kit and Wolves, figure it out yourselves. I don't care if your goalkeeper plays in a fucking... They can play skins. Yep, skins, whatever. You know? bullshit. Trial has been waiting for that opportunity to be able to get his top off during the game. Um, He's so strong looking. Holy shit. God, I I used to play left back in Sunday League quite a lot. Yeah, and right wingers are often a team's best player, I've found, because they're usually quick. (laughs) (laughs) I like the way you're... Yeah. I like the way you're projecting that. It's uncanny that every team we play, the right winger appears it to be the best brilliant. player. What's going on here? <laughs> no, but I was honestly watching Tierney last night. I was having flashbacks to like me chasing after yeah. these right wingers. Fucking hell. He, Traore, I mean, I feel like there's this weird perception that he's not good. People are like, well, he's inconsistent. It's like, it doesn't really matter, does it? Because he just gets past his man four times a game. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. eventually it works. Yeah. Uh, I th- I'd, I'd take him over William. I'll say it like that. Oh, fucking right I would. See the um, way you fucking diddle Xhaka for the second goal as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Xhaka, you're the looking one, for from there. The but one time you're looking for Xhaka to do one of his patented fucking clumsy midfield rugby tackle fouls. Whatever's needed at that point. Yeah, I mean, Troy, he's like our kryptonite anyway. He's everything we hate. He's pace, he's power, he's direct. Delivery. It's, you know, 
Yeah, it's everything Arsenal don't want. And Wolves know that and they use him very intelligently against us. We don't even want it in our own team, let alone the opposition. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, uh, actually, you know, when we won at Wolves in the in the Project Restart, I mean, he should have scored a couple of goals probably. Mm. So anyhow, anyhow, what are we talking about? Before team, that? Oh, team, team for Spurs. Spurs. Leno. Um, Gabriel, please. Tierney. And then Who's I it? guess Rob Holding. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, Gabrielle is the centre part of the the back three. Yeah. yeah, actually, I think that is right. I think that is the right three. Um, you know, you, Louise might be available, but I think, I think you know, given how much Spurs look for Harry Kane, I think Holding and Gabrielle will make a certain degree of sense. Louise versus Tottenham is at least one penalty <laughs> uh, yeah, waiting to true. happen. Very true. I would play Ainsley Maitland-Niles as a wing-back, probably as a left wing-back with yeah. Son coming onto his left from the right-hand side. Yeah, um, I agree with that. I don't know if we're allowed to play Ainsley Maitland-Niles anymore. I don't know if Wolves actually bought him and it was just really hushed up. I, I, I don't know. Not in the um, squad at all yesterday, which was interesting. Yeah. Whether he just had a little bit of a knock from the, from the Europa League game, we don't know. Too emotional for him to play against Wolves, the team he might have joined. Uh, and I actually know. got some game time for. <laughs> uh, I think, um, yeah, so I'd play him on the left, Bellerin on the right. I would play... So you got a midfield too? Yeah. Slim pickings, isn't it? Mm. I, you know, I, I think one of Genuinely, them... like, I, 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 Ceballos wasn't much better than Shaka. No, I would say, and I, I, I'd pick El Nenny. Let's say I'll pick El Nenny. I would pick El Nenny, and I, pr- I would probably just err on the side of Sabias over Jack. So would I, but it's it's close. I'm telling you now, it's close. Well, like, that says a lot about yeah, Sabias. and then and then I would go. Uh, so I would go back to. Lacazette, Aubameyang to the left, and I'd play Saka from the right. That's what I would do. I could live with that. I, I just think, that, you know, yeah. we we know how to do it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, it's not great, but I think it will keep us in the game. I think it will make it a contest. And um, I can't bear to see Mourinho Spurs win that game. Fucking oh, hell. No, let's, let's, look, we've got a week basically before that happens or could happen. So let's not try and spend it. Um, yeah. And listen, misery. I mean, genuinely, I am so happy. There's going to be some supporters in the ground on Thursday in the competition where we actually win games and score goals as well. Um, that is a ray of, uh, something nice <laughs> amidst all this clue. Yeah, so it's Arsenal Rapid Vienna on Thursday with some fans in the ground. The big one. Yeah, those of you one. who are going to be there, enjoy. Enjoy. Uh, you enjoy it as well, James. Um, we'll try to. And uh, look, we will leave it there for now. Hopefully, if you've come this far, it's been somewhat therapeutic for you. I feel slightly better having talked it through, even if I don't really have any answers still. Um, all we can do is hope for a, a response and fingers crossed we get that next weekend um, so for now we'll leave it there and uh, we will catch you on the next one bye bye bye